That COVID praise right there coming at you live. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, make it personal. My God, that is who you are. Come on now. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Don't you miss it? Don't you miss it? Don't you miss the fellowship of kindred spirits, fellowship of believers, just looking around the room, seeing somebody who seems to be tapped into the same groove you're in at the same time. Well, somebody's hollering amen at the same time you are to a word that's fitly spoken. I know you miss it, and, 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 and we're all missing it right now. We're all struggling behind it, but I got to tell you, we need to take care of one another. We need to look in on one another, call and check on one another. Can I, can I remind you this morning that uh, it's important that we keep our mental health in check. Uh, we're all off balance. Those of us who are, who are regular attenders of church have that as a part of our spiritual diet. And we're missing that in our diet right now. It's like not putting salt in your food. You're missing that. It doesn't have the same flavor. Sometimes we start putting additives in its place. And can I tell you that those additives don't bring you the nutritional value that you need. You got to have some real salt in your, in your diet. No, no, not no salt. No salt is fake salt. Don't go there. Pay attention to what is real. Identify what is real and keep that in your diet. We're doing the best we can right now. I can tell you right now, Reg and T and D are on fire. <laughs> I thank God, thank God for them continuing to let the Lord use them and a team is trying to make sure we can be in your, in your space as, as physically as we can. But nothing takes the place of praying, you got to do that for yourself. Nothing takes the place of talking to other folk, you got to do that for yourself. You got to call and check up on them, uh, reach out and touch the best way you can. Yeah. Didn't there used to be one of AT&T or Bell South reach out and touch somebody? They used to have a commercial about that. Yeah, you can still do that. You can do it even better now. We've been in a sermon series for the last few weeks um, that we've entitled Real Love, Real Love. I'm talking about that real love. Yeah. Y'all know that song, Real Love. Anybody out there searching for some real love? You might have it already. Yeah, you might have it already. Slow down. Don't get that imitation love. No, no, no. You want some real, real love. It makes a difference in your life. It's that lasting love. And so the last few weeks we've talked about some aspects of reigniting our relationships or renewing our relationships. And uh, we want to continue in that vein today because I want you to understand that there are some things you ought to know going into a relationship that can be beneficial to you. And if you're already in a relationship and you've been doing some things that may not have been beneficial, 
then I want to give you some helps, if I can say that. I'm not coming to you as an expert. I don't claim to be one, even though I'm an expert at making mistakes in a marriage. I can tell you that right now. But I've learned enough through my mistakes in marriage that there's some things we got to have. And I can tell you right now, um, the first week we talked about uh, making sure we give quality time to our, to our loved one, to the one we care about, and not just bring crumbs home. Not the end of the day, little dredges of what's left, but we need to make sure we spend quality time. And then I can tell you right now, last week we talked about the problem we have when we go into a relationship with unrealistic expectations. Uh, expecting things that should not and could not be possible. And today we want to go into another aspect of relationships. It's, uh, it's something that I think is extremely important for you to understand even though some of you are going to not feel good behind this. I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna step on some folks' toes. If you look at this introspectively, you're not gonna come away with this one saying amen. I can tell you that right now. This is gonna get into your space just a little bit, all right? Um, and because we all know in relationships, there are times when we don't communicate effectively. It just happens, it's just a part of life. There are gonna be disagreements, there are gonna be times when one person says something, that hurts the other person's feelings. And sometimes we do it intentionally. Sometimes we say things that we know will get on folks' nerves, do things that will get on their nerves. Yeah, sometimes it's unintentional. And when we get to those places, uh, how do you resolve those conflicts and get back to a, a state of okay, a state of normal? Um, if it's intentional, if it's unintentional, either way, the couple's gotta learn how to resolve conflicts. A lot of couples are strained right now because they've reached a point in their relationship that they just don't know how to get over the rut they're in. Okay. They don't get out of the rut they're in. They don't know how to get over the hump they find themselves in. And that hump has come about because of an intentional act or an unintentional act, that, and they don't know how to move past it. Sometimes the issue at hand is not what actually happened, but the discussion surrounding the activity that happened. Sometimes the discussion after the fact can do more harm than the actual activity itself. Whoever came up with the other adage, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never help me, was never married. Words will never hurt me, was never married. Because clearly, you and I know, if you've ever been in a relationship, words can and do hurt you. But there are three words that I want to concentrate on today that people say fairly easily, fairly easily when they're in love. In fact, some people say it too much. Yeah, some people say it too much. People early on in relationship with folk learn how to say these three words because they're selling. And so I want to talk about these three words, and I'm not talking about I love you. I love you is not the three words we want to talk about today. The three words that we want to spend our time on today is I am sorry. I am sorry. They're more difficult to say. Sometimes for some people, they don't have the courage to say I am sorry. Apologizing. There's an art to it. Some people do it well, some people don't do it at all. And when you don't know how to apologize in a relationship, you got a problem. 
because there's no way you can meld two people together and not step on one another's toes or get in one another's space or create problems or conflict for the other person. And so learning to say these three words is going to be helpful to you moving along in your relationship. We're going past the time when you can simply say, oh, he know me. He knows how I am. No, no, that doesn't change the fact that what you've done has been hurtful. That doesn't remove the pain or the sting from what you've said or done. I am sorry is a necessary balm to a hurt or cut. And we need to talk about today how we get to that place. The Bible has a lot to say. I wouldn't come have this message with you today if the Bible didn't have something to say about this topic. And of course, the Bible does have something to say about, about apologizing, confessing our wrongs. Come on now. We couldn't get back into a right relationship with the Lord if we didn't apologize. If we didn't repent, if we didn't say, Lord, I'm sorry. So you can't be a believer in Christ Jesus and tell me you don't know how to say I'm sorry. Because if you don't know how to say I'm sorry, how are you a Christian in the first place? If you don't know how to say I'm sorry, how are you even walking this walk we call Christianity? But you got to learn how to say I'm sorry to people in your relationship. It's easy to say I'm sorry to Jesus who you haven't seen lately. It's hard to say I'm sorry sometimes to somebody who just got out the bed with you who you still mad from from last night. That's when the problem comes up. Learning about the consequences of wrongs and the harm people do shows us why apologizing is important. Can I be real with you right now? There are some people in relationships who are struggling with you in the relationship because somebody, when they were growing up, didn't apologize to them. Because somebody harmed them legitimately, and they're still carrying the wound from then to now, and it's affecting your relationship. They can't form the necessary attachment to you because somebody did not apologize for the harm done them. Apologizing is essential. There are some good examples of apologizing in the Bible. First of all, you remember Jonah disobeyed God, spent time in the belly of a great fish. Wasn't until he apologized, repented of what he did, that the fish expelled him and put him back in the right place. Job apologized to God for wrongs he didn't know he had committed. Apologies. Joseph's brothers, you'll find in, X, in, in Genesis, apologized to him for the wrong they had done to him when he was younger, when they sold him into slavery and lied to their father about what they had done. They were fearful because God had made true the promise that he had given to Joseph, Joseph as a young man. And so the brothers apologized to him. David. David is involved in a situation that I want to use as the underpinning of our message today and show you how significant apologizing can be. Apologizing can keep folk from getting killed. I'm going to say that one more time. Apologizing can keep people from getting killed. Apologizing can keep people from coming to a ruinous end, as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I've preached to you about this before a couple of times. We know the story of David and how he and his men watched the flock of a man who was named Nabal. 
and how when they confronted Nabal, whose name literally means fool when translated, they watched his flock for nothing. They watched his flock while they were on the, on the run. They stayed out in the woods undercover. They were running from their enemies, hiding from their enemies, but while they were hiding from their enemies, they also saw that Nabal, who was a great shepherd, had a lot of shepherds and flock near them, and they protected them without being asked or hired to do so. And they never went into Nabal's sheepfold to take any of his sheep or any of his, uh, any of his products from his shepherds. But when Nabal got to the point that it was time for him to reap the benefit of all those sheep by, by shearing them, when they had a shearing feast, David simply sent his men to say, hey, we've been looking out for you for a while. If you got something you could give us, a tip maybe, we'd appreciate it if you would. And Nabal acted according to his name, a fool. Yeah and disrespected David and his men, and David, true to his character at that time, this is important, he was a man after God's own heart, but he also liked war, and he liked to fight. And he got up, he said, uh, <laughs> he said it was time to ride. You can hear the song in the background. Regulators, mount up, mount up. He was headed in. It's time to go in and take care of Nabal. And we're going to now take what he wouldn't give us. David wasn't right, but it was on. So he, instead of the 10 men he sent to ask courteously, he and now 400 of his men were going in, and they were intent on wiping everything in Nabal's house out. Thanks be to God, there was a servant who overheard the conversation between David's men and Nabal. And he ran as quickly as he could to Abigail, Nabal's wife. And she saved the day. How? She quickly got provisions together to take care of David's men. And she went out and apologized. Hear me now. She went out and took the blame for her foolish husband's activities and apologized. She did it. In fact, she set a standard for apology in this situation, a standard. She brought goods with her that would satisfy them. She talked to David in such a way that she knew, that he knew she was sincere. She lifted him up knowing he would be the future king of Israel. And she, simp and she also put in a plug for herself and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. She also did something that wasn't so good. She denigrated her husband. Yeah, she said he's true to his name, my Lord, a fool. But charge that not to him. Let it fall on me. And I've given you these goods to let you know how sincere we are. And she stopped David from killing the whole household that day. I told you, a good apology can stop bloodshed. David even acknowledged that this woman has kept me from, from bloodshed. To make it come full circle, after David was satisfied, Abigail went and found her husband having a riotous party, completely unaware of what she had just done to save his household. And when she told him, the Bible says clearly in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel that he had a stroke. 
immediately. And 10 days later, 10 days later, he died. After he died, David heard about it and sent for Abigail to become his wife. Because he said, any woman that can keep me from going in like that on somebody got to be a good woman. That apology not only saved the household, that apology not only saved people from unnecessary death, there was no real harm done other than insults. That, that apology also preserved her life and those of her household for years to come. And so I ask you, do you know how to apologize? Do your apologies have the effect of creating peace in your house? If you do it right, I can tell you they absolutely do. So why do you need to apologize? Walk with me on this, and I hope, hope you're taking notes. If you're not, I hope you're listening. Apologizing is a way of recognizing our wrongs, which means in order to appropriately apologize, I have to be introspective. I got to look at myself, all right? I can't just look at what the other person did. If I'm going to apologize to someone, I have to be self-aware that my actions fell short of what's expected, and I also have to be aware that what I have done has caused harm. It may not be physical harm, it may be emotional harm, it may be mental stress, but I have harmed someone, and I need to straighten that out. When people apologize, they look for some action from the other person. We call it forgiveness for their wrongs. Sometimes, when we, and we do that, when we apologize to God, we want and expect God to forgive us. And because we realize that we have harmed him. David said, against thee and thee only, Lord, have I sinned. Sometimes it means apologizing to people for what we've done to them. That's why we apologize. But let me tell you this now, and write this down, we'll probably repeat it in this message. Just because you apologize doesn't mean you can expect forgiveness immediately. Life doesn't work that way. Sometimes you have to put patience into the factor in order for the apology to have its full, mature meaning. But during that time, God can build us up to be accepted of more of what we've done, and we can see the full extent of the hurt we've caused. So the first thing we need to do in apologizing is confess our wrongs. That doesn't have to be an outward, come down the aisle at church in front of the altar confession, but you do need to be on the altar of your heart. If you're a believer, you need to confess, Lord, I've harmed someone. I've done them wrong. Yes, this can be your spouse. You can't just say anything you want to your spouse. You have to learn, I hear Karen say it all the time, you have to learn how to fight fair in your relationship. You can't call each other any kind of names and expect that that's going to soon be forgotten. No, too, peep, too, too many times in relationships, forgive me, people are too familiar with their spouse and will drive up or dredge up their shortcomings in times when hurt is around. And you'll say things, things you shouldn't say, things you'll later regret. You have to apologize for those things. Can I tell you this? The simple passage of time without acknowledgement of wrong does not make an apology. Let me say it one more time. Just letting time pass without ever admitting what you've done wrong 
does not equal an apology. Yeah, just because it's been 10 years since the wrong occurred doesn't mean somebody ought to be over it by now. You still have to engage yourself in the process and ask for, first of all, confess what you've done and then ask for forgiveness. Watch this, watch this. James 5 and 16 says this. This is a good scripture for you to write down. James 5 and 16. Confess your wrongs to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is the New Living Translation. Can I give you the B side of that verse? The B side of that verse is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We always quote the B side of that, but we don't talk about the healing part that comes from confession on the front part. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, this is how important confession is. If you present a sacrifice to the Lord at the altar, and while you are presenting that sacrifice, you suddenly remember that you've wronged somebody. The Bible says, the scripture says, that you leave your sacrifice right there and go and reconcile to that person and then come back and complete your sacrifice. That's how important it is to confess to someone and to right any ill will between you and somebody else. I'm trying to give you some helps that will benefit you in understanding how apologies work in your life. So here we go. I want to give you some, some elements to a healthy apology. How you can talk to somebody and truly be sincere in apologizing. And I'll tell you, I've rested a lot of my remarks on a, a book called Peacemaking in the Families by uh, an author named Ken Sandy. And he has talked about what we call today, in the secular sense, conflict resolution. Conflict resolution, that's all it is. If you understand the principles of con conflict resolution, then you also understand how to apologize to people. But can I tell you, there's a secular way to apologize, and there's a spiritual way. The spiritual way deals with the heart first. First, if you want your heart to be clean, then saying I'm sorry is the first thing that ought to be out of your mouth. You ought to know how to say that from the beginning. Your salvation begins with acknowledging that you are, you've done wrong and confessing it. You got to also believe in your heart that the one you're asking for forgiveness is able to accept it and able to forgive you. And we know that's what salvation is. Can I do this? Follow me as I give you some elements on how to ask for apology. The first thing you need to do is address everybody that's involved in the situation. Don't leave folk out. If somebody was directly or indirectly affected by your wrong or observe your wrong, can, I, can you watch me on this now? And I'm probably gonna go a little longer this morning. Watch me. We'll go in and apologize to mama for cussing her out, daddy for cussing him out, but we don't say anything to the children who had to listen to that all night. We don't, we don't strengthen them. We don't let them know that we transgressed and went wrong that day. They've been just as affected. They were up all night listening to that. 
and they too are due an acknowledgement that your behavior fell below the expectations of someone who would be a leader. And too often, all we do is clean up the obvious, not, the, not those that are unaware. And can I tell you, they know. They may not say anything, but they know. And not only do they know they've been affected. So when you fail to seek forgiveness from them, what you're doing is leaving that person to believe that your actions were acceptable. They were not. They were not acceptable. And until we learn how to clean that up, we leave a wrong impression in that person. And for your daughters, when you cuss out your wife, you lay a foundation that it's okay for her husband to cuss her out, for her boyfriend to cuss her out. And she needs to hear you tell mama, she needs to hear you tell her I was wrong and how I communicated that. Our repentance is often used by God to awaken us to a far-reaching, unintended consequence of our wrong. Can I tell you that the better you are as a husband today allows you, your daughter, the opportunity to seek a better husband tomorrow. Hear me again now. The better I am as a husband and a father today lays a blueprint for my daughter to look for a good husband. But when I take and give mess in my life, it muddies the water on what she ought to be looking for and what she ought to accept. And a lot of times our children find themselves in situations that are less than appropriate because they didn't reach beyond what they saw. What, we, what they saw was something that was negative. We got to learn how to lay the right foundation for them. So I want you to think about, think about this. Think about relationships when there are wrongs in them as a house or a room of your house that's infected with termites. All right? A wrong is a destructive force that in, enjoys doing residual damage until it's exterminated. And so when you put a wrong in your house, like a termite, whether you see it or not, it's going to continue gnawing away until it gets all the useful part out of it. And it's not until you literally exterminate it that it will be gone. There's no such thing, anybody, as insignificant termite damage in your house. No, no, no such thing. Likewise, there's no such thing as an insignificant effect of wrong on your relationship. When you recognize that you've done wrong, you must take steps to resolve it. When you're apologizing, avoid using the words if, but, and maybe. Avoid it, avoid it. Why? Because when we use those terms, when we use those terms, we try to soften what we've done. We try to mitigate what we've done. Let me give you a very today example. Last week, as she was walking up the steps of the United States House of Representatives, a Democratic congresswoman from New York was verbally accosted by a Republican congressman from Texas. He basically cussed her out. 
put his finger in her face, cussed her out, told her she was crazy, and called her an effing B. On the steps of Congress in these United States. He then took the floor in Congress on Tuesday of last week because he had unwittingly cussed her out in front of a reporter who reported the entire episode, including all the language that was used. And since he had been put on Front Street, he took to the floor of the United States House of Representatives to apologize to her. And the first thing out of his mouth was, if I said something that you took to be inappropriate, then I apologize. The next day, this 20-something-year-old congresswoman from New York taught him a lesson in how you appropriately apologize. She excoriated him from the floor, reminding him that what he had done was not an apology because he never admitted anything wrong. If you're going to apologize to someone, you must admit what you've done wrong, not conditionally, not perhaps, not maybe. You gotta say what you've done wrong and understand that it is wrong. So you avoid if, but, maybe, because if calls into question whether what you did was really wrong. If you don't know if it was really wrong, why are you apologizing in the first place? But transforms repentance into an accusation and maybe indicates that you're not convinced your actions were wrong and it also invites conversation or debate, as it would, that's likely not to go well or end in something that's less than repentance. Acknowledge you violated wrong. I believe her most striking example when he brought up that he wouldn't talk to a woman like that because he's married and he has two daughters. I believe her most striking words were, I am somebody's daughter. Not only am I somebody's daughter, I'm two years younger than your youngest daughter. Yeah, he, she brought it home to him, but she taught us a lesson that was very timely and what an apology is not. Not only do you avoid those words, can I tell you the next thing is you need to admit specifically what you've done. One goal of repentance in the name of loving our neighbor as ourselves is to make forgiveness as easy as possible because for, saying I am sorry is wrong. I said for many a day in court that the hardest three words to say in a court is I am guilty. They're hard to acknowledge that. And what you're saying when you, when you apologize to someone is I am guilty of hurting you. I am guilty of wronging you. And we can do this, we do this sometimes by being less than specific in our actions. Because can I tell you, Words that you use when you curse somebody out at 12 o'clock at night don't sound the same at 7 o'clock in the morning. They sting a little bit more in the light of light, in the light of day. And it maybe makes you a little bit more embarrassed than you would be under the circumstances. And so you try your best to cut that back 
And can I tell you, in order for, in order for an apology to be effective, be specific. Hearing that you can be specific without falling into blame shifting. You need, don't, don't, don't shift blame from yourself to the other person. Don't stay in a safe place. Apologizing makes you desire, decidedly vulnerable. Because your apology, if sincere, is done without any knowledge of what the other person will do on the receiving end. But of course, their reception is not your goal. Your acknowledgement is the goal. And whatever comes after your apology is not up to you. So be specific. Next thing you need to do is apologize. Yeah, write that down. That means acknowledge the hurt you've caused. Acknowledge it. Watch this now. Wrong has consequences, both unintentional and intentional. Wrong has consequences. Repentance expresses empathy. And it often takes responsibility for the dominoes that fall as a result of the wrong. When I apologize to you, what I've done equivalently is put myself in your shoes. And I realize that I would expect better of someone than I gave under those circumstances. That's empathy. I understand what you've gone through in this situation. Empathize with someone. Can I tell you what's wrong in America right now? We don't empathize with people. Can I tell you why people don't wear masks? Because it violates their freedoms. They say because they don't empathize with the person who has asthma, who has an underlying health condition. They only care about their freedoms and they don't have any empathy for the other person. In fact, they think their freedoms are more important than another person's life. That's why we don't wear those things. We lack empathy. We have a White House that lacks empathy for people who didn't come to America like they did. We have a White House who lacks empathy for people who do not have means. I'm not making it up. The record is replete with instances where there's a lack of empathy for folk. They don't care about folk who don't have health care. No empathy for them. But if you ever sat in a doctor's office sick and not knowing how you were going to pay the bill, then you understand what folk go through when they don't have health care. If you've ever sat hiding in the corners of a community because you don't have the right papers to show you belong here, then you have empathy for folk who struggle with their identity. And can I tell you right now, empathy is necessary for a correct apology. Put yourself, not your holy, sanctified, dipped in buttermilk self, but yourself who've been through something. I'm talking about the sinner self. I'm talking about the one who's been through something. I'm, I'm talking about the one who felt necessary to get up and ask the Lord to forgive them for their sins. That's the self I'm talking about. Put yourself in their position and then, based on that, ask for an apology. Not only that, the next thing you need to be prepared to do is accept the consequences. Accept the consequences. 
You don't know what they're going to say. They may say nothing, which is a strange rebuke when you've hurt them because you've taken the time to build up the courage to say something to someone who you've hurt and they say nothing. They may say nothing because they don't know what to say. They may say nothing because if they say something, it's not going to come out right and make the situation work worse. Whatever the case, their response is not your goal. Even though I say it really is your goal, because you say I'm sorry most of the time, I am sorry because you want to hear I forgive you. But can I tell you that sometimes I forgive you is a long time coming. Because I forgive you is not where they are when they hear I am sorry. You don't know how long they've been waiting to hear you say I am sorry. They may have been taken unaware when you say I am sorry. They may not be able to mentally digest I am sorry when you say it. And because of that, they need to digest it so they know exactly what to say. Repentance is not a time when we, accept, when we start establishing the acceptable terms for wrong. Can I tell you, there are plenty of folk around here who are mad because they are mad because somebody didn't accept their apology. Yeah, that's what they're upset about. I apologize to you and you didn't accept it, so I'm mad at you. That seems to miss the point. It seems to mean that you think you're in charge of both sides, the wrong and the wronged person. Can I tell you that that's not how life works? It's not your place to decide what's punitive, disciplinary, or trust building. All you have to do, all you're required to do is to confess. Forgiving means the person has accepted what you said and they believe them. Can I tell you that there's some slick folk out there who know how to apologize real quick, but they don't, they don't mean it. They know how to utter those words, I am sorry. In fact, one husband and wife was at a counselor, and the counselor understood that the wife was continuously upset. And she was upset because she discovered that her husband would immediately apologize for anything that was wrong but he would never change his action. And because he never changed his action, it knocked down the sincerity of his apology. You have to begin when you accept the consequences by stating the obvious. If there are clear changes that you need to make in your conduct or your behavior or your conversation, then you need to put that in your apology, all right? Don't phrase them like, I will do blank for you, as if you're giving somebody a favor because you've done something wrong. Or if you insist, I'll do such and such. That means you're putting the pressure on them to accept the terms of your forgiveness. Again, that's wrong. You need to start ending your apologies by using open-ended questions. I, I know this ain't church as usual, but, but this is helping as usual. This is helping unusual because I can tell you a lot of our families are hurting behind these things. End by asking open-ended questions like this. Honest questions. Honest questions are a sign of humility. What can I do to make it better? Tell me how I can 
not hurt you like this again if these words are hurtful. I used to say all the time when Karen and I got married, when I do something, I used to say, when I did it, I'd say, I apologize. And she wouldn't accept that terminology because she didn't think it had sincerity in it by using that. And so I changed the language. It's not that I wasn't sincere, but my admission did not reflect sincerity. And if your admission doesn't reflect sincerity, then it doesn't mean anything. And so we learned how to communicate in a different way. I don't use that terminology anymore, and I hope when I do things, and I do apologize, not when and not if, but when I do things, that she receives that. Can I tell you the next thing, and I just mentioned it, when you confess, you gotta alter your behavior. You gotta change. Repent means to turn away. Confess, then turn away. 180 degrees, go the other way. Not 360 and end up in the same spot. <laughs> Repent. Alter your behavior. A repenting conversation is not the culmination of the journey. It's not. It's merely drawing a road map and acknowledgement that a map is needed to get away from this place. And so if you stop at verbal repentance, I said I'm sorry. This is what people say all the time. I said I'm sorry, but you don't change what you've done. And then there's a problem. Because someone can legitimately say, but based on how you continue to behave, you didn't really mean what you said. So a part of embracing the gospel is counting the cost. We've made this of no effect in our Christian community because there's this whole sect of people within the Christian family who believe that you can confess and keep it real. Keep it real is a euphemism for keep on doing what I've been doing. They don't have to change any of their activities because they're doing it under the umbrella of Christianity. I'm a believer, I just sin sometimes. I'm a believer, I just do this sometimes. I'm a believer, what you're really saying is Xing one another out. Because if you are a believer, you have turned away from behavior that is less than acceptable to the Lord. Under all circumstances, can I tell you that narrow is still the way. And there's a way unto men that seemeth right, but the end thereof is destruction. We keep trying to walk the way that everybody else is walking, but the path is narrow. And not everybody is going to be able to walk that walk. And can I do this? This last thing is ask for forgiveness and allow time. Time is a healer. Ask the person you've wronged for forgiveness. I'm sorry. I am sorry. It's not the same thing as asking for forgiveness. No. No. I am sorry expresses how you feel. Will you forgive me? changes who's responsible for the action. I am sorry is an appropriate statement after a mistake, but will you forgive me is the appropriate statement when you sinned against someone. And so I want to give you as I close this three by five rule. Three by five. I started out by telling you this message was these three words, and these three words are 
can be I'm sorry, I am sorry, three words. I hurt you, three words. I disappointed you, three words. But I want you, once you realize one of those three word sets, I want you to now change it to a five word set, three by five. I want you to accept responsibility. What I did was wrong. I want you to make restitution. How can I correct you? Correct it, five words. I want you to have genuine repentance. I'll try not to repeat, five words. And then I want you to close it by requesting forgiveness, five words. Will you please forgive me? The three by five rule. Change your three into the five and you will probably make a good apology. Can I tell you, it works in your relationship with the Lord. Lord, I've wronged. Lord, I have sinned. I have transgressed. And then ask him, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? It's okay. It doesn't have to be exactly five. You can say, will you please? Forgive me, Lord. I accept what Jesus Christ has done for me. I realize that I have sinned against him. I realize that he died for me. I realize that he was resurrected for me. And now I'm asking him to be my savior. But it all starts with, I'm sorry, Lord. If you just realize today that not only have you sinned against your friend, your spouse, but you've realized you've sinned against the Lord. And today is the day you want to ask him to guide your life, help you be a better you. Then I ask you to bow your head and simply repeat the sinner's prayer. I am a sinner. And I realize and I acknowledge that I have transgressed against thee, Lord. I ask you to forgive me of these sins. And I ask you to make me better. But Lord, I want to acknowledge who you are and what you've done and ask you to walk with me and guide me from this day forward. It's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, that I lift this and ask it all. Amen. I know I went a little longer this morning because I wanted to bring this home to you. But I want you to remember these three words and how important they are in a relationship. Learn how to put them in your vocabulary. Say them often. Mean them often. And watch peace grow in your house. God bless you. I love you. And we'll see you next time in the Cyber Sanctuary of 45th Street. Through Christ we are the friendliest church. Come on. From the parking lot to the poor men.